Welcome to the Comedy Reset Spotlight. This is the place to be if you want to hear from some of the most innovative and exciting comedy creators from around the globe. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of guests who are pushing the boundaries of what comedy can be. If you're looking for fresh perspectives and new ideas, this is the podcast for you. Episode 19, Long Island, New York comedian, Tracy B. Simon. When did you first start doing stand-up comedy? My entry into stand-up comedy was somewhat unconventional. I wanted to get over my fear of public speaking for my job. So in 2006, I took a class at Governor's Comedy Club, which I thought would be way more fun than Toastmasters. I thought I would have a meltdown during the graduation show, but when I heard people laughing at what I was saying, I was hooked. I had to put comedy, though, on the back burner until I retired in 2020. I didn't know what to do with myself because pandemic shut everything down. And then I learned that comic Mark Breyer, who I had done some work with before, was doing comedy shows via Zoom at the East Meadow Public Library once a month. So I contacted him and I asked if I could be on one of his shows. And he said yes. So I pulled out my old comedy notebook, updated my jokes, and the following month I was back performing. What made you want to become a stand-up comedian? Is this a therapy session? Being a stand-up comedian was not something I knew I could aspire to. I never looked at comedians on TV or on stage in the Catskills and said, uh, hey, I'd like to do that. I didn't even know how they got there. Um, They just sort of showed up on Ed Sullivan or the talk shows or on stage. And I was a middle child, which meant I was the one who was supposed to be seeking attention all the time. But I would have rather died than do that. See, I was uh, sandwiched between two attractive, outgoing, and talented siblings. My big brother was a mechanical whiz, and my little sister was a natural actress and singer. And as for me, I was the St. Bernard among the poodles, and my talent was drooling. But what that drooling was was comedy, just that nobody recognized it yet. I mean, I wasn't a class clown by any means. I was always picked on in school, so my goal essentially was to be invisible. But when I spoke to people at length, especially adults, they would laugh. It wasn't so much what I said, but how I said it. Uh, And I didn't even know that was a talent. By the time I was an adult, I realized I could write, and I could find work doing that. Uh, For the fun of it, uh, in the late 80s, I signed up for a stand-up comedy class in the city led by a working comedian, uh, Lisa Carmel. She held it in her West Side apartment, and it was just me and five guys. The performing part made me uncomfortable, but that's where I learned I could write comedy. The interest in doing stand-up came about 20 years later. Who were some of your influences? Well, like a lot of women of a certain age, my influences were Joan Rivers, Phyllis Diller, and especially Toadie Fields, who I don't think gets enough attention and credit Uh, But for a long time, I mean, they were it. They were the mainstream female comedians, or as they used to call them, comedians. 
to differentiate them, of course. Um, but as time went on, I added Rita Rudner and Elaine Boozler to that list. I only recently discovered Jean Carroll. Uh, she predated the earlier female comedians by a few years, and I felt she was ahead of her time, uh, demanding and getting equal pay as her male counterparts um, and having her own TV show. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of recordings of her on TV available. What was your first time on stage like? I didn't think my first time on stage was going to be too traumatic. I was accustomed to giving oral presentations in graduate school, but uh, performing comedy in front of a large live audience that is um, actually listening is very different. You don't have to wait for your grade to know how you did. Uh, the response is immediate. Either they laugh or they don't. Uh, my comedy college graduation at Governor's, I remember going on stage and coming off stage, but not what happened in the middle. <laughs> not what I said, not whether anyone laughed. I think they call that a fugue state in Psych 101. It happened several times in the beginning, but once I started getting more relaxed, that happened fewer and fewer times. What's your favorite joke? My favorite jokes are the ones that are based on real life, you know, things that people actually do and say, even down to the punchline. My family has no idea how much of my material they've unwittingly written, and I'm not about to tell them to stop. I have so many favorite jokes, though, but I have two that I absolutely love. Uh, because of their wordplay and intelligence. One is Jim David's story about Beowulf, and the other is Gary Goldman's routine on abbreviating state names. I don't know if the first is readily available anywhere uh, to hear or view, but you can find the second on YouTube. What's the worst heckler experience you've ever had? My worst heckle was not so much a heckle, but an interruption. I was filling in for a comic at a fundraiser, and halfway through my act, I hear a woman at another table mention loudly the name of the fellow I was filling in for. And a woman next to her pops up and says to me, uh, excuse me for a minute, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I have to do this. And she turns around, faces the crowd, and starts talking about the fellow I replaced saying what wonderful work he did and how he brought this all together, yada, yada, yada. And then she turns to me, apologizes, and says, go on. And all this time, I'm standing there holding the mic, not knowing what to do. I didn't want to make eye contact with the audience because I was afraid I would make faces. Um, but there was nothing I could do and nothing I can really say about it. So luckily, I remembered where I was uh, in my routine, finished it, and everything was fine after that. What's the best gig you've ever had? The best gig? Um, well, that's kind of hard to say. Paid gigs, of course, are my favorite, uh, but each one has an outstanding moment. So it's a toss-up among the first show I produced and emceed. Uh, the one I did for a local VFW auxiliary because it was my first solo gig, although I did hire an opener, and the one where I got several applause breaks, one of which was just for mentioning the town Newpaltz. <laughs> What's the worst gig you've ever had? 
Well, that one also is a toss-up, and I don't know which one was worse. Uh, the one at the quote-unquote old man bar where three other comics and I were hired to entertain, and there was no stage, no one to introduce us. We just got up there and performed. Not a single person was listening. Um, on the bright side, we got to say whatever we wanted, even insult the crowd, and no one gave a damn what we said. And the one I did for a uh, senior center in the city where it was like talking to an oil painting. They were the angriest crowd I think I'd ever seen. They just sat there and scowled, which was um, not exactly the best feeling in the world. How do you deal with stage fright? So how do I handle stage fright? I first had to decide what scared me more, whether it was uh, forgetting my material or talking to an actual audience. Uh, the first one I handled by rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing so much that I knew my set like I knew the Pledge of Allegiance. The second part was not as easy, um, shy to begin with. But as I remember from grade school, one of our teachers said, when you talk in front of the class, look at a spot on the wall right over the heads of the class. And usually that's a clock on the wall or a painting. And they don't know you're not talking to them directly if you do that. However, in a comedy club, you either have to make up that spot because it's dark or just concentrate on the first two rows because that's all you can see. And as soon as you hear someone laugh or respond to what you're saying, you can look at them from time to time because that's your designated friend in the audience. You just don't play to them. But every once in a while, you come you come back to them and it becomes easier and easier and easier with practice. And if you psych yourself up by saying, this is a room full of friends, they're not adversaries, they're your audience, they're here to hear you. It makes it that much easier. What was the most unexpected response you've ever gotten to one of your jokes? The most unexpected response I've gotten to a joke was at an open mic. I had invited my cousins to come because it was a bringer show. And I was doing jokes about our childhood and growing up, etc. And at one point, I hear one of my cousins say, that's not what happened. And the audience is giggling a little bit. I press on and I hear the same cousin say, well, that's not true. And pretty soon, I am not sure if they were laughing at my jokes or laughing at this interchange because they didn't know what was happening. Was this part of the act? Well, needless to say, I have not invited my cousins back since. How do you prepare for a show? So how do I prepare for a show? Well, first I ask the basics. Um, how many minutes do I have? You know, do I have five? Do I have ten? What type of crowd it is? Is it a special event? Uh, because sometimes I have to write additional event-specific material. And then I organize my jokes. I take my best material and then fill in, you know, other material until, you know, I have the uh, proper amount. And then I practice. I set aside at least an hour a day of the week prior of the show. And I will go over and over and over my set uh, with a timer. 
either on my laptop or cell phone. And the first day or two, I use a script, then I break it down to an outline and then just keywords. And those keywords become my set list. And they say how you rehearse is how you perform. So in other words, if I'm only rehearsing in my car, I am not going to recall my set very well unless I'm sitting down or I have my hands on a steering wheel. So what I do is, and this is a little weird, I look for an image online of an audience laughing and then I perform to that image. And before I had a microphone, I would hold a hairbrush or TV remote just for the physical memory of it. Um, and then the day of, I choose an outfit to wear that I'm comfortable in. And then I rehearse a few times more wearing that outfit. And about an hour or so before, I have a light bite and I just drink water. You know, no alcohol, no soda uh, prior to the show. And then it's showtime. What's the best advice you've ever been given about stand-up comedy? The first best piece of advice I received was to record yourself every time you perform, especially in the beginning. Uh, audio recording is fine, but video is better. And it's not enough to record your set. You have to listen to it or watch it, as cringeworthy as it might be. I thought I was doing fine on stage, but then I had a trusted friend and comic watch the recording and give me feedback. He said it was a good recording, but I was performing like I thought a comic should perform. It was his polite way of saying that I was doing a bad impression of a comic rather than being myself. The other uh, piece of great advice I received was you have to create your own opportunities. Just don't rely on open mics and bringer shows or waiting for a producer to call you. I mean, you can create your own shows, produce your own shows anytime, start your own open mic if you can find a place to do it. And that way you can get a lot more stage time. What's the worst advice you've ever been given about stand-up comedy? I think the worst advice I've been given was don't take advice. I mean, there's a lot of crappy advice out there, but as my mom would say, if somebody offers you something for free, take it. You could always throw it in the trash later on when they're not looking. I mean, the first thing I do is consider the source. If it's someone I admire and respect, I might be more willing to act on it. Uh, otherwise, I just put it in the back of my brain in hopes that someday it might be useful. If not, I throw it in the trash. What would you say is the biggest misconception about stand-up comedy? Stand-up comedy is not just standing on a stage telling jokes because you think it's fun. People don't understand how hard it is to make something look that easy. They don't see all the hours of collecting ideas, writing, editing, and practicing. I mean, it's an actual job. A job you don't get paid for very often, but it's still a job. What do you believe is the key to success in stand-up comedy? There's a saying that success is falling down seven times and getting up eight. And that's how I think it is with comedy. No matter how many times you screw up, how many times you bomb, just keep getting back up there and study the craft, practice. And if you keep going at it, if you're persistent, you will find success. What do you think is the biggest obstacle 
that stand-up comedians face? For a lot of us, uh, the biggest obstacle is getting stage time. I mean, we talk about persistence and practice being the keys to success, but it's hard to hone your craft if no one's going to let you perform. Doing open mics is, of course, the easiest way to get stage time, but it's not going to get you seen by audiences and those who can advance your career. I mean, people who have a lot of friends have a much better chance of getting stage time at bringer shows, uh, which is that step between open mics and book shows. You could produce your own shows, but that's a help and a hindrance because unless you're good at multitasking, you now have three jobs. Uh, producing a show, practicing your craft, and doing what you're doing to pay the bills. What do you think sets stand-up comedy apart from other forms of comedy? I think what sets stand-up apart is that it's just you and the audience in the moment. There's no ensemble to back you up, no script to fall back on. Uh, there's no one flashing a sign that says, laugh here or applause. You're pretty much being intimate with a room full of people you don't know. What are the benefits of stand-up comedy? Well, if you laugh, you live longer. I think that's a pretty good benefit. And stand-up is great for those of us who are insecure because the validation is immediate and it's a great confidence booster. What's your process for writing jokes? I take notes wherever I go, um, on a pad, on my notes app, on any paper I can find, a newspaper, paper cup, napkins. If I can write on it, I'll write on it. If something strikes me as funny or has the potential to be funny to others because of how I feel about it, I write it down. And then... I, when I sit down to write, uh, either at my computer or notebook, I look at my notes and I start shaping the material. Some jokes write themselves. That's rare. But most times I'll write a couple of paragraphs and then I'll walk away from it until my next writing session. When I come back, I start editing and I try to bring the story down to one main funny idea. Sometimes it takes multiple sessions. Uh, for instance, my favorite joke started out as several paragraphs, and after almost a year of performing it, I've got it down to 42 words. What's the most important thing for a stand-up comedian to remember? I think the most important thing to know is bombing is not the end of the world. It happens. I mean, 99% of the time, uh, the audience is on your side, and that 1% could be anything from the audience just being in a communal bad mood or they don't understand English or you're having an off day. So the idea is accept that you're bombed and get back on stage. What do you think are the best techniques for dealing with hecklers? The universal first technique is to ignore them. They are looking for attention and you're not going to be the one to give it to them. And if that fails, I would do what Tignataro suggests. She has two responses. One is, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. And the other is, yes, I agree with you. Both of those will stop hecklers in their tracks because there's no comeback. What do you think are the biggest mistakes that stand-up comedians make? One of the biggest mistakes uh, you can make is not doing the work. When you go out on stage the first time, you are not a finished product. There's always something you can work on, your timing, a joke, your stage movement, etc. 
use the recordings you've made to pinpoint the problems and fix them. Another big mistake is not forming relationships with other comics. That's one of the most valuable things about joining an online comedy writing community like JokeZoom. Comics from all over the world, uh, Japan, Yemen, England, New Jersey, come together as much as six times a week to help each other work on material and make it better. Plus, uh, the networking can turn into future gig opportunities. What is the best way to learn stand-up comedy? The best way to learn how to do it is to do it. (laughs) I mean, it's as simple as that. You keep getting up on stage over and over again, um, even if you bomb. I mean, you get back up on stage. Doing stand-up is not something you can learn from just reading a book or watching Netflix specials. Uh, You have to keep putting yourself out there. What do you think is the best way to improve as a stand-up comedian? I know I said in my previous answer that you can't learn how to do stand-up from a book or watching comedy, but you can use them to improve. Books can help you train your brain to think like a comedy writer, um, make connections between concepts, how to work through writer's block. And when you watch other comics, think about how they present themselves. You know, what what is their onstage personality, um, whether they use callbacks, um, how they handle timing. I once watched a Brian Reagan special. And during one routine, the camera did a close-up when he paused during an act-out. I could see in his eyes that he was counting the seconds before he continued his joke to achieve maximum laughs. So there's a lot to be learned from watching others. What has stand-up comedy taught you about yourself? As a retired librarian, I'm going to give a literary answer to this one. Um, I'm going to paraphrase uh, A.A. Milne in Winnie the Pooh. I learned that I am braver than I believe, stronger than I seem, and smarter than I think. And that's a big deal. What motivates you to keep performing stand-up comedy? Well, on a physical level, let's face it, laughter is a drug. You know, it stimulates the endorphins that give you a high... Well, as you can see, I'm wearing a patch to break the habit, and so far, I can tell you it's not working. On a personal level, making people laugh and knowing what I'm giving them of myself may be the best part of their day. It gives me such a wonderful feeling that I just have to keep doing it. And on a purely selfish level, I want to become so good at it that one day I could stick it to everyone who ever treated me like garbage in sixth grade. And you know who you are, Glenn. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about doing stand-up comedy? Just do it. Uh, Even if it's just to say you had the experience. Uh, It's a little like skydiving in that respect, uh, except if you fail at comedy, no one has to look for your carcass in a cornfield. And don't give up your day job. Comedy is not a high-paying field, and it's hard to make a living doing it unless you really enjoy the hustle. Is there anything you'd like to add that we did not cover? Don't get hung up on cancel culture, and I'm putting cancel culture in air quotes. Being a stand-up comic, I think, is like being a librarian. If no one is offended by what you do, 
then you're not doing your job. Happy offending. I've been your host, Rob Chaffee. Don't forget to laugh today. It's good for you. Comedy Reset Spotlight is a podcast that brings you today's freshest and funniest comedy creators. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to hear more.